nothing that we've done. Might need my sermon. It's nothing that we've done except believe that and confess that what Jesus has done for us. And that is about being redeemed. It is something that has been done. You're his workmanship. You're a completed workmanship in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.10. And that's the scripture that I'm going to park most of my sermon at today. And we'll get to it. I'm reading a great book. It's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. Tim Bradbury gave it to me. Tim goes to our church here. He gave it to me five years ago and I put it in a pile of books to read. And then in one office move it got buried. And in another office move it reappeared. So um, I, I said, I'm going to read this. It just God spoke to me so I started reading it. It's, just, it's really good. And there's one great line in there. And I want you to get this line. Not maybe, and maybe I'm not sure exactly how it all ties to my sermon today, but I just want you to get this because sometimes we think God is too big for us. God is great not just because nothing is too big for him. God is great because nothing is too small for him either. So many times we try to put God in this big box and try to say, uh, he's not, that's just a lame prayer. That's, that's a weak prayer. That's a small prayer. That's a small request. And it's like, you know what? Bring everything to God. He's in everything. So you bring everything, the big, the small, the good, the bad, the ugly. You bring it to God and allow him to be the judge of what he's going to answer or not. And he's, he answers our prayers all the time. I talked a couple, or last time I preached, talked about Gideon, who had 32,000 people and going up against 120,000 people in a, in a fight for the country. And like we would think, and if you were in that situation, you'd be out in a recruiting process trying to find more warriors. And God dwindled his army down to 300, and they defeated 120,000. That, to me, is a major thing. That's something huge. Then we also saw a story about Elisha pointing to, uh, and another gentleman pointing to a river, and they raised an axe head out of a river. Now, for some people think, well, if I drop my axe head in the river, that's my fault. Too bad. So sad, right? But you know what? God raised that axe head up. That, that axe head in the river meant something to that one person, and he raised it up. So some, for some people, that might seem like an insignificant thing. Like, God's got bigger things to worry about than my axe head in a river. But you know what? God tackled both those issues. Just like God heals cancer, God will heal a canker sore. He, he's in this grand, big scope of things. Let's not put him in a box. Let's allow him to work in every area of our lives. You know, God will open the physically blind eye. We've seen it in the past. We've seen it, maybe some people have seen that in your life. But you know what? God will op- also open, up, open your stuck door at the Target parking lot when it's 20 below in the middle of freezing winter. He will. He opens the physically blind eye. He'll open up your car door when you need it. He does that. Now, some people might think that's, God's too big for me. That's too big. That's, he's not going to worry about me on a cold night at Target with my car lock. I don't believe that. I think he cares about you all the time. And he wants to be in your life all the time. The worst thing you can do is just not ask. Don't be afraid to ask God. Say, Father God, I need help with this. And he will help you. Do you ever get the Olympic mentality in your prayer life? And what I mean by that is you... You have a degree of difficulty 
added to your request and to your prayer? How many people, I love watching the Olympics, right? They got, you know, the one things I can think about when they judge stuff is like gymnastics or diving or figure skating, right? And when you're diving, like I, I know diving, you'll add a degree of difficulty to it, right? So if I'm doing a front somersault off the high dive and Pastor Jim is going to do a triple back flip with a triple twist starting from a handstand, <laughs> his degree of difficulty is a little higher, so he nails it, I nail it, he's going to get a way better score. You know, sometimes we th- I think we do that to our, our prayer life and our life with God that we attach a degree of difficulty to it and say, you know, God's going to take care of this guy over here with his prayer because mine is just too minuscule. And I say, don't do that. Don't have that mentality. You know, God sees all of our prayer life and everything as a perfect hand. And he's going to score you on that. And so don't, don't put God in a box like that. So what's my point? Stop thinking and, and I have to do this sometimes, too. Stop thinking that God doesn't want to hear your prayer request because you think it's too small or insignificant. Go to the Lord in everything he says. You know, Maybe your problem is you think that you've created this problem, you've brought all these issues and things into your life that you think, I've done this to myself, I'm the only one that can get me out of this problem. Don't start there either. You know, that, that video we saw is a great thing. It was people who were struggling with something, and then when they allowed God to work in their life and, and, they, and receive God and say, you know what, God? I struggle in an area. I'm going to give it to you. I've been redeemed is what I've been told. This is what the Bible says. Now work that redemption in my life. I love that. I love those videos because everybody here, if we were to make a video today after church, everybody here could stand up here and we could put a label on you and then at the very end of the video we could put redeemed on there, no matter what. Not everybody here is addicted to something that we think is bad. I'm pretty sure here's something here, there's something in our lives that everybody has in here that causes us and takes time away from God or what's best for us. So I'm sure there's a lot more addictions you think in this building than what we just attach to people. Ephesians 2.10 in the NLT says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I wrote a note next to that saying, he restored my nobility. The same scripture in the New King James Version says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's the key word I'm going to work on today is workmanship. What does that mean? The J.B. Phillips Version translation of Ephesians 2.10 says, the fact is that we are, what we are, we owe to the hand of God upon us. We are born afresh in Christ and born to do those good deeds which God planned for us to do. He restored the sonship, I like to think, on that one. When I look at his workmanship, I like to think that he restored my royalty. There's a great song. It's called The Anthem by Jake Hamilton. And he travels with Jesus culture. You'd have to talk to Jason or someone around here more musically inclined than me to know exactly where he fits in. But he's kind of a rocker, Christian rocker. And he's got this great song, and, and there's a line in it, and it says this. I think I have it written down. Hopefully I do. It says, I am royalty. I have destiny. I have been set free. I'm going to shake history. And he repeats that over and over again. And then he says at the very end, I'm going to change the world. Isn't that great? Get that mindset. You want to be a world changer? Or do you want to allow the world to change you? It's two, it's two camps we fit into. 
We can allow the, God to change us and go out and change the world. Or we can just ignore what God has for our lives and we can allow the world to mold and shape us. I think that says that in, in, in Scripture somewhere, in Romans 12 too. Renew your mind to what God's Word says. Don't allow the world to renew your mind. So think yourself that you have a destiny. You are royalty. You're going to change the world. Who's going to change the world for the better if it's not for the Christians here, for the people at Praise Community Church? Maybe you're just visiting today and you just stumbled in here because you feel like you had to be here or someone dragged you here. You know, this is part of your, your plan that God has for you. This is part of your destiny. You can choose to grab that today. If maybe if it's the first time or one of the few times you've been to church, you can choose to grab the, the fact that you're here today worshiping and listening to the Word of God with other believers. You can, you can grab onto that. Or you can ignore it and try to do it in a different direction. I say grab onto it. Squeeze it. Hang onto it. Don't let it go. If you feel like it's trying to run away from you, grab it by two legs and tackle it and just hang onto it. God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's us who turn our backs sometimes on God and walk away. See, the Greek word for workmanship, and this is the word I'm going to work on today, is poema. And it means that which is made. It says that in the Vines Dictionary. So this word means manufactured, a product, and I love this one, a design produced by an artisan. So you're produced by an artist is what it's saying. It is a word from which we get our English word poem. Think about that. We are God's poem. We are his work of art. It is just as foolish for us to boast of our part in salvation as it would be for a masterpiece painting to boast about itself that he painted the painting himself. Does that make sense? The painting doesn't paint itself. An artist paints itself. So we don't get to be righteous or, or perfect and all these things by our own works because the, the master artist created his masterpiece. That's us. There's a vast difference between being saved by good works and being saved unto good works. Good works do not gain us salvation. We've talked about that many times. But they do affirm that salvation has been received into our lives. If we have God and Jesus living on the inside of us and we're renewing our mind to that word of God, we're going to be out doing good things for the kingdom of God. Good works cannot produce a new nature, but a new nature can produce good works. I love that. Sometimes you've got to sit back and think about that. Am I trying to produce these things on my own? My, my, is my own agenda in front of God's agenda or God's plan for my life? And you try to line them up together sometimes, and sometimes you just got to take that, the mark agenda, and pitch it out and go back to the original plan. You know, we're, we're trying to get some work done in our basement here uh, eventually, and we, we don't draw, we didn't drop new plans for the basement and say, well, we're going to take this wall out and that wall out. No, we have a plan, a blueprint from 1958 that we get to fit our building into downstairs and, and all around this whole building. And it's a masterpiece, I think, that God has created for us here. And so that's kind of how you are. You got the body. You're the temple we talked about here all the time. And it's where God is going to fit into your temple, his plan for your life. God has, God has ordained a perfect plan for each, each of us, for each of our lives. The English version, English, today's English transversion of, of Ephesians 2.10 says, God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ, he has created us for a life of good deeds, which he has already prepared for us to do. Think about that. He's already prepared them. Before he even spun the world, he had a plan for you, and your plan wasn't just to, 
to bump around. Your plan was to go out and minister the gospel of the good news. So God has ordained a perfect plan for each of, each of us. So here on earth, we ordain pastors. And we say, this guy's called to pastor. He's, he's called to preach. He's called to teach. So we, we ordain pastors. But what God is saying and what the Word of God is saying is, he's ordained all of us. Every one of us has been ordained into his kingdom. I love listening to southern people who use the phrase, all you all. God is saying to you right now, I'm going to use all you all in my kingdom. My apologies to you, Karen, with the southern accent there. She just spent six weeks in, in Alabama. She, was well, she said she was happy to come back and hear our nice Midwestern accent. So God has ordained all you all to do everything. That's my country theme. I think it was, I had a scripture where I talked about, I reckon. I reckon so. You know, all you all, every one of us has been ordained when we call upon the name of Jesus to do great and mighty works. So you are God's workmanship. You know what that word workmanship, like I just talked about? It means you're complete. We still have to renew our mind. We still allow God to work in our lives. But the vessel, he says, is complete. It's just time to pour into it all those good things. And I believe God is continuously pouring into our lives every day. I guarantee you, he's speaking to every single one of us every single day. Do we have our ears tuned into him or do we have our ears tuned into something else? Many times as Christians, we run around and la, 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 like a little kid. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear. That's going to cause me, that's going to cause a little hurt. That's going to cause a little tension. That's going to cause something that's going to make me not be comfortable. And that's the thing about being a Christian and, and walking in the Word. If you're comfortable, if we're comfortable all the time, that's not a good thing. You need to, be, you need to shake it up a little bit. And if you're doing what God's, God has planned for our lives, you're going to have to step out and do some things that other people don't think are the things to do. So many good scriptures about tying in to God's worksmanship. See, the Lord has already given us his grace. It says that in Titus 2. 11. John 1.16 says this. He was full of grace and truth. From him all received one gift after another. So Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. And because of our relationship with him, we receive that gift one after another. It's like Christmas every day and your birthday. All wrapped into one. It's just like every day we receive the gifts of Christ for what he did for us on the cross. And then he says, therefore, in Hebrews 6, 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. What is he saying there? We're not supposed to ignore things like baptism or, or heaven and hell. Don't, don't ignore those. Those are, those are important things. But he's saying, we know those doctrines. Let's move on to maturity. Let's find out who we are in Christ and, and go further. That's what that scripture's saying. There are examples and commands that demand that we grow and develop in our faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God. So we do. So we keep growing. When we hear that word and we get around people, we hear the word. A.B. Simpson, who was a great pastor and speaker uh, for many years, says, men and, women do not press, men and women who do not press on in their Christian experience to gain the fullness of their inheritance in him will often become cold and formal. He says you've got to press in. How many times have you ever heard that? I'm struggling here at work. I'm struggling being a parent. Just press into God. What did John do on that last time they were together in the Last Supper. What did John do? It says the one he loved, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's John. He pressed in. 
he leaned into Jesus' bosom and he just laid there with his head on his chest. He pressed in. And that's what we need to do. Just throw everything else out the window and say, you know what, I'm just going to lean into you, Father God. I'm going to lean into you, Jesus. What do you got for me today? So press into the Father. So here's this thing. God's workmanship, I'm going I'm to read this so I, I make sure I get it right. God's workmanship is not the ongoing process of what God is doing in you. It is the completed work of what God has done in you. Even though you are, in one sense, called to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, which we're called to do, you are, in another sense, complete to live on another level. You need to understand this. See, you've been born again. You've been saved. You have the Holy Spirit put on the inside of you. You've stepped it up a notch. You're on a different level. How many people ever played video games here, right? What's your, what's your motive when you're playing video games if you're a young kid or if you're still a young kid? You're trying to get to the next level, right? I'm speaking to you guys back there. You want to get to the next level, right? Well, with God, you're already on that next level. You're on the top floor of the penthouse. The word workmanship is a term for an end product in Ephesians 2.10. It's the end product. And who is the one that completed that? It was Jesus at the cross. See, imagine if you went down to buy a car and all you saw there was the raw metal frame. You had no seats, no dash, no mirrors, no paint, no tires, no engine. To me... That would be an unfinished product, right? You'd be like, I want my money back. That's not what it looked like on, in the ad. And that is not what God made of you when he made you anew in Christ Jesus. He has blessed you in the heavenly realms. He finished the product. He says, you know what? I've done this for you. Now renew your mind to the word of God. When Jesus rose from the dead, you were raised up to life with him, he says. When Jesus was established on his throne, he had a place there for you as well. That's another level we're talking about. I know I preach on this quite a bit. Because I, I think it's important to know that when you get stuck, you need to realize where you really reside. We get stuck here, like all of us do at times. But you need to remind yourself, I'm up here. I'm seated in heavenly places in the throne room. If you believe in him, you are completed in him. A masterpiece of life, it says. God's workmanship. Think about this. How many of you have ever seen the Antique Roadshow? Huh? Guilty. I love that show. I'll sit there and watch, and I'll just say, I'm just waiting for something good to come up, like $7 million for a, a lampshade or something, right? It's amazing. It's, it's, it hooks you. And what I like about it is they'll tell you all the detail and how much it's worth. Right? And it is because of the workmanship of the artist or the maker that makes this masterpiece that gets people excited, right? So I have a, I have a box up here, and I said, this, this table over here was created by Jason Gangwich in 1997 in shop class in Wayne, Nebraska. And the guy's like, you know, it's like eight bucks, right? <laughs> Ten. <laughs> I'm just trying to prove a point. I love my friend Jason. But if it was made in 1700 by some famous furniture maker, the guy would be like frothing at the mouth. Right? He's like, this is awesome. Where did you get this? You know, do you know how much it's worth, they always ask. And they always say, I have no idea how much it's worth. I don't think everyone ever says, with, you know, like on the, on the price is right, they, they guess out the right price. My point being is that it's the masterpiece it's, that is made by the artist, the Rembrandt or the Picasso. We pay, you'd pay millions for those, right? And that's, that's who we are in Christ. That's what he's saying. We are the masterpiece. If 
you were on the Antique Roadshow, God would be say, this is perfect, this is flawless, at auction, unlimited amount of money. Where you and I would be sitting there going, that's got a scratch on the surface. That's missing a few things here. That looks pretty beat up. Look at the years that thing has been put on over the 70, 80, 50 years you've been alive. See, we would, we would find the flaws in it, and God would say, that's perfect, it's a masterpiece. No matter what you've gone through or what you, you've been through, what you've done to yourself or allowed people to do to you or what people have said about you, God's masterpiece. That's who you are. And that's the way you get over your certain things in your life that cause you problems. Because when someone tells you all the time that you're this, that, and you're no good, and you're nothing, you'll never get over this. I'm through with you. I'm done with you. God says, you're my masterpiece. You're not junk. I'm not throwing you in the garbage. I'm keeping you. You can get through this. Just give yourself to me. And if you've given yourself to me, maybe you're that, that 64 Impala or that 19-something Model T that's been parked in the garage. You just need to pull it out, get the turtle wax out, a little armor all on the tires, and shine it back up. Because you're a masterpiece. You're a classic. That's what God says about you. That's what he says about each and every one of us. And I know there's people in this room, me included, that have, through your life, if people have said, you can't do this or you can't do that, you're not worthy. It's not true. You are worthy. God says, you're my masterpiece. So when you get on that antique roadshow in front of God, he's going to say great and mighty things about you. He's not going to pick out the flaws and all those things in your life and say, you're not worthy. You're junk. He might as well just take you out to the, the refuge heap and, and call it a day. It's not true. Ephesians 2, 1, 1 through 10 says this in the Phillips. And I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it's amazing. It says, to you who were spiritually dead all the time that you drifted along on the stream of this world's ideas, obeying the unseen ruler, who is still operating in those who do not respond to the truth of God. To you, Christ has given life. That's what he's saying. We all live like that in the past and followed the impulses and the imaginations of our evil nature, being in fact under the wrath of God by nature like everyone else. Basically he's saying, before we were saved, we were heading to hell. That's what he says. But even though you, we were dead in our sins, God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us, gave us life together with Christ. It is remembered by grace and not by achievement you are saved. And has lifted us right out of the old life to take our place with him in heaven, in, with Christ in heavens. Thus he shows for all time the tremendous generosity of the grace and kindness he has expressed towards us in Christ Jesus. It was nothing you could do or, or did achieve. It was God's gift to you. No one can pride himself upon earning the love of God. The fact is, what we are, we owe to the hand of God upon us. It says we are his workmanship. We are born afresh in Christ and born to do these good deeds with God as planned for us long ago. I love taking a scripture, any scripture, especially this one, and reading it in the King James, reading it in the New King James, reading it in the New Living Translation, and then pulling up J.B. Phillips and just speaking to my brain sometimes with all the dos and the yees and all that stuff out of there so I can actually read it and understand it. What a great scripture. You're his workmanship. Your salvation is nothing missing and nothing broken. Salvation in the Greek is soteria, which means forgiveness, healing, deliverance, protection, provision. In the Hebrew, it's a form of Yeshua, which says something saved, deliverance, aid, prosperity, health, and welfare. Those are good things. So when we become born-again Christians, when we, when we 
call upon salvation to enter into our lives and we, we thank God and we say, I'm yours. And we jump in on salvation. It's just not an end product. It's the beginning. And we have to allow ourselves to renew our minds so we can hear these things. God wants to totally restore us through his great love for us. Think about that. God wants to restore you through his love for you. There's a part to play. Sometimes we have to turn from certain habits we're doing. But you know what? You don't have to do that first. You can come to God first and God will work on you and some of these things in your life will go away. Jesus, had, Jesus came to restore us what Adam lost. He restored us in ability. He restored us in possession. We are his workmanship complete in Christ Jesus. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans for you, says the Lord, a plans for good and hope, not for a disaster. Man, what a scripture that can allow you to get through a few things in your life. And a lot of times when you're in the midst of disaster, and it seems like there's no hope, you have to step back and say, I know that God has a plan for my life. Where have I taken my agenda, my plan, and put it over top of his plan for my life. Crumple up that plan that you had for your life. Toss it out. Burn it. Do whatever you got to do. And then just lay there and say, Father God, I'm going to do it your way. Again. And he doesn't say, Mark, this is the 795,000th time you've come to me with that request. He doesn't. He just says, all right. Let's partner up again. That's an amazing thing about God. Forgives. For us as humans sometimes, we might never forgive anybody. We might have a bitterness in your heart that says, I can't forgive that person, they really wronged me. Well, that's between you and God, and you've got to figure that out because God says we need to forgive people. But God never has that attitude to each or any one of us, no matter what. No matter what. You can be wronged all the time by people, but you know what? God's never going to do this. God has a plan for you. Don't just turn what Jesus did with your mess into a testimony. Turn it into a ministry. I thought about that. You can take what God has done in your life and you can build on that. And you can teach people, like, this is what happened in my life. This is what God did in my life. And this is how I'm moving forward. You want to come with me? It's a great thing. I have another thing I like to watch on TV once in a while. It's called HDTV. <laughs> and what are they always doing in that show, on that channel? They're, like, taking a worst house ever. You're like, I would not go in that house ever. And they turn it into something awesome, right? They don't turn it back into the, the original thing. They make it like a zillion times better than what the original thing is. That's kind of what God does with us. He eliminates the mold, the termites, the leaky roof, the broken sewer pipes, and he replaces them all with brand new stuff. That's what our spirit is. That's what God does in our spirit. He replaces it with a brand new spirit, his spirit. And so the, the home, after they get through with it, is perfect. And they don't take this house... And then they do all these great things to it. And then they say, oh, now we're going to buy the place. No, they buy it as a pile of junk, do they not? They pay a low dollar for this house, and they turn it into something awesome. Kind of like us, what God's done with us through Jesus. I see a lot of great people out here, but really he took a pile of junk, and he saved us, and he built us up, and he turned it into something awesome. That's what God did in our life. It's like I love using examples in the world to get my mind wrapped around it. There's a great scripture of David's kindness in the Bible in, in 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 14. And it's a scripture about restoration. And if you don't know the story about David and Jonathan and Saul, 
Saul's grandpa, Jonathan, his son. And then, the, and then the, the grandson is this guy by the name of, what a word, Mephibosheth. I'm going to say that how many times right now? And it's going to. And Mephibosheth's original name was Merab Baal, which means opponent of Baal. Pretty good name, right? He was against the false god. And what happened was that on a day of in a battle, Jonathan and Saul got killed. And this Mephibosheth's nurse or servant grabbed him and, and fleed. And when they were fleeing, he got dropped and became crippled. And then he was in hiding, basically, uh, in another town with some other people. And one day David says, I remember my friend Jonathan. He says, I'm going to go find this family, and I'm going to restore this family, because I, Jonathan was my friend. So he goes and finds this, this young man, and he calls for him. Calls him out of Lodabar, is the name of this place. And so when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, he came to David, he fell on his face because he thought he was going to die. Because he felt like, I'm doomed, but I have to go. This is the king. He's calling me. I have to go in front of him. But he basically thought when he got there, I'm dead. I'm, I'm going to end up just like my dad and my grandpa. I'm going to be dead. And you know what? David doesn't do that. He restores him. He says there, Do not fear. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's, your father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Isn't that an amazing thing? The words of one person completely turned this man's life around. He went from being a, a pauper to a prince by the words of a guy. Then it says in verse 9, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given you your master's son all that belonged to Saul's house. So he's, he's restoring his power. And therefore you and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. And so he's, he's restoring him. He's giving them all these things back. Then it goes on to say, later in that it says, Then uh, Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. There's your restoration right there. He, he restored him back. He restored his position. He gave him a position that he gave to one of his princes in his court. And that's what he's done for you and me. When we, when we came to Christ because of what he had already done for us, he restored our position in the kingdom. He says, you can eat with me at the table as long as you like. He says, I'm giving you the same rights as a prince. That's what he says. You're part of the royalty. That's an amazing, amazing thing to me because a lot of times when we become Christians, we think it's just... This, this salvation thing, and man, I said the prayer last night, and it was really good, and I feel awesome, and, and then and we kind of get stuck. And God's saying, you know what? The reason why you get stuck sometimes is because you don't realize your position. Your position is royalty. And when you're a royal person, you have a lot more things going on. You have a lot more access. And that's what God is, through Jesus, is saying. I like how it says, for he ate continually at the king's table. I think it says that twice in the scripture. That must be important. This guy was poor, eating probably barely anything. He was crippled. He had his legs broken. And back then, in that day, I'm sure they didn't have very many rights if you were that person. And all of a sudden now, he's sitting shoulder to shoulder, rubbing shoulders with the princes and eating the best food and drinking the finest wine he probably did and, and the best fruit 
and from all over the land. Because David, who is a, in this situation, is a savior-like. He's a Jesus type for us in the Old Testament to point to and see what, what Jesus was going to do for us in the future. We are not simply a work in progress after we confess Jesus is Lord. We go from prince, or from pauper to prince, like David's restored this gentleman. And it's because of the words of what Christ speaks over you every, every day through his word keeps your restoration going. His first work is complete at the cross. He made us alive with a, an emphasis on the past tense. You are alive. You have been set free. I like how it says in Ephesians 5, it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Important part to me there is the end part where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think Pastor Jim and I always talk about this. It's be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You are complete. The finished work at the cross, but your goal is to continually be filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit. Call upon him saying, fill me up. So when you read Ephesians 5.18, read it this way. Be being filled. Not just be filled, be being filled. It just stretches out. It's a continuous process. And you know what it is? It's like recharging your batteries. It's like you just, if you have a cup and it just pours over and over nonstop. Last night we were, I was at a hockey game and there was a Valentine's party out there. And they had a chocolate fountain. And it just kept pouring over. And there was kids up there who were just like. That's what it's like. It was like never ending. It wasn't going to stop. Now their parents are probably like, unplug that thing. But it's what it's like. It's just never ending. A fountain. And that's what be being filled with. It's the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you but then to call upon him time and time again. And he fills you. And he regenerates you and he rejuvenates you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. So be filled. Be being filled. So you're seated with the King of Kings. You're enthroned with the Prince of Peace. You are forever adopted into the family of God. People can disrespect you or discredit you, disown you, disregard you, discount you, disagree with you, disgust you. But as long as you don't let them discourage you or distract you from the understanding of who you are in Christ that you are God's workmanship and you are living on a different level. You have to know that. I'm going to preach that until I, I'm six feet under. It's my mission that God has put me on is to just remind each and every one of us, like, this is who you are. Accept it, believe it, receive it, walk it out. You live on a different level, Christians. If you don't know who Jesus is, maybe this is new to you, I would certainly love to sit down and talk with you and show you who the real God is and who Jesus is and what he did for you. And if you've walked that path before and you've walked away from it and you feel like, I'm lost, welcome. This is a great place for lost people. We're all lost. We've all been found. But some way we get off on our track and we get wayward and we got to go back to the basic things and just say, you know what, Father God? I'm here. Maybe you've been gone for a long time. God's telling you, this is your day of salvation. This is your day. This is your day to start be being filled with the Word of God. Remind yourself this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Ephesians 2, 10 can be summed up this way. I am God's workmanship, his finished product, and he has created me anew through the cross of Jesus, his son, to do good things that he has prepared for me 
long ago. I had this revelation the other day that before God even spun the earth, even put the planets in orbit, even put the whatever, he had a ministry plan for me. He had a ministry plan for everybody here. He had a plan for us. And he knew that Adam's going to fail, but he had a way out. His contingency plan is awesome. We think we have a contingency plan for our families. That's great. Be prepared. But God's contingency plan that he had for all mankind, you can be part of it right now. Jump in. Amen? We have communion here today, as we do each and every day. Here at Praise Community Church, if you're new to church, we take by what we call in tinks, is we take a cracker and we dip it in the juice. Everybody's welcome to come up during the, wor- during the worship time here to take communion. Our only requirement is that, that you're a Christian, that you believe that Christ was raised from the dead, that he died for you and that he was raised from the dead, that you're a born-again believer is what we call it. That's what I call it. You're, you're a born-again Christian. So we ask you, if you've, you've made that confession as Jesus is Lord of your life, would have you come up and take communion if you want. If you feel like you don't want to take communion, that's fine too. But when you come up today, you're coming up with the purpose of saying, you know what, Father God, thank you that I am his workmanship. Thank you, Father God, that I have the opportunity to be being filled all the time with your Holy Spirit, with your word. I tell you what, if, you, if there's a point in your life right now where you feel dark or, or low or, or messed up or you missed it or someone is just really coming against you or whatever you feel that issue is, you just come up right now and you say, Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me, that your body went to the cross for me, that your blood was spilled for me, and you acknowledge that he's in heaven, seated in heavenly places, and he has a spot there next to you with your name on it. He does. I know each and every day it can be a struggle for people. As you get through life, you get up, you go to work, feed the kids, all these things. And then by the time you get home, it's like, it's bedtime. I'm exhausted. Just give God two minutes in the morning. Say, Father God, I need your wisdom today. I need your understanding. I need your help. Just point me in the right direction and I'll go. And he never fails. His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. How many times have we sang that song? Don't just sing it, believe it. The last thing I want to say is that that you have a destiny. You can shake history. You are royalty. I'm going to go home and I'm going to listen to that song with my headphones on today and lay on on my bed for five minutes and just crank it. Because he's speaking right to me. And I believe it. Each and every one of us here have a destiny. Each and every one of you is part of a royal family. So when you come for communion today and you leave and you worship, worship from that level up here. If you're in a pit, let's climb out of it today. God wants to pull you up. He wants to bring you up to his level and say, you know what? This is where you live. This is where you reside. This is where, you, where I want you. Amen? Father God, we thank you and praise you so much for what you did for us. Father, we thank you that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Father, as we come before you today or tomorrow or the rest of our lives, Father God, we just thank you that you are always there to fill us up, to run us over, and give us more and more. Father God, we thank you. For those people here today, maybe don't know you, that you're speaking to their heart right now. You're saying, you're drawing them near. And as they call out to you, Father God, you just put peace and freedom and joy upon them right now, Father God, and just change their lives. For those here today, Father God, maybe walked away from you and wondering why they're even in church today, Father God, you're speaking to their heart right now. You're saying, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Thank you for coming to my house. I'm going to bless you. If you're here today and you, 
you're feeling pain or suffering and, and you needed a healing touch, I just want you to know that God right now has his hand on your shoulder and he's touching you and he's saying, be healed in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you can heal depression, you can heal things of the mind, you can heal things of the, heal things of the heart. You can straighten out bones and you can open blind eyes. And Father God, I thank you that you, right now that you're giving a revelation to everybody here of who they are and what their purpose is in life. And Father God, we thank you that we are part of a royal family and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.